Well, welcome back, everyone. Hope you guys are doing well, and maybe you got to go out to the lake this weekend for the 4th of July, or maybe you're heading out after this. Whatever it is, we're super glad that you're with us this morning. And so with that in mind, and 4th of July on our minds, I just want to speak into that. So when we think of the 4th of July, we might think of the family time, uh, the barbecue, or going and relaxing at the lake. But when we really truly think about what the 4th means, it marks our independence and reminds us of the birth of America, right? It marks our freedom as a nation. And we often associate, you know, different scripture verses with Fourth uh, of July, but one we often might say is John fifteen thirteen, which says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay one's life down for another. And we see this in the formation of the nation, right? Where many lives were laid down for the sake of America's freedom, so we're thankful for that and those who served. But we're not just here to talk about the men who laid their lives down so America could be independent and free. But something that we're going to focus on from that passage is the word love. And this love is speaking toward God's sacrificial love through Jesus. But before we dive into specifically what God's love is and what that means, how do we define the word love? Maybe from a worldly standpoint. Because there's a lot of contrast and it's important that we understand that. So if you look up, there's going to be a slide. So the Oxford Dictionary defines it as a feeling or disposition of deep affection or fondness for someone. A great liking. In other words, love is merely a feeling. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Because what happens when you don't feel love? Does that mean you don't love that person anymore? Does it mean it's all vanished? No, because love is not dictated by simply just one feeling. But the thing is, so many people often believe that when they don't feel the way that they used to for the person that they love, well, love has simply gone out. And this happens a lot with people in dating relationships, marriage relationships, right? You hear things like, oh, you know, they fell out of love. Or uh, my all-time favorite that you may have heard in the dating relationship regarding someone who really necessarily isn't feeling it anymore. So they might say something like this. They're like, ah, oh, sitting there last night with the Lord and uh, he told me we should break up. <laughs> really? Did he? That's not what I heard. And that's the funny story. That's not the reality, and you guys laugh at this, but it's true. People say that, oh, yeah, the Lord told me to break up with you. But that's not who God is. God's not, oh, yeah, God told me to break up with you. He might lead us away from a relationship, but the reality of that statement is that that person who said that didn't want to put the breakup on themselves because they, so to speak, fell out of love or lost feelings. Love surely is fleeting, right? No, of course not. And many of you who have been married for a while or maybe just got married know that godly love lasts through the trials, through the struggles, because Christ is the foundation of our love. 
But really, before we tap into what God's love is, I want to focus once again on how we see love through feelings. See, not only do we associate human love with feelings, we also associate feelings with God. For some of us, we get confused. We're like, I can't feel God anymore. That means my love for Him doesn't exist anymore. And that's not again true. Your love and God's love for you is not gone because you can't feel Him. And praise God for that. And so in addition to this, we, we often also define the word love as something that is conditional. And we may not even admit to this, but we do it a whole lot. Because the moment someone does something that doesn't fit in the imaginary context and contract that we have made for them, we're like, nah, I'm done. Thank you, next. I mean, I've done this before countless times, but thinking back to a story in my own life, we'll have to go back 14 years when I was a little bit shorter but probably taller than some of you in here. Um, 14 years ago to, to when I was in fourth grade. Super exciting time, right? Woo, fourth grade. Um, and I was finally getting past the girls have, you know, cooties phase. And I was like, oh, I have a girlfriend now, and which honestly hardly meant anything other than a label. It's basically like, okay, today I'm going to go to sit at your lunch table, and tomorrow you're going to sit at my lunch table, and... Uh, I'm going to call you my girlfriend. Does that work? Yeah. You guys laugh because you know it's kind of ridiculous. But anyways, I was like, you know what? Uh, hmm. I don't think this is going to work anymore. Um, because you just told me that you don't like donuts. So uh, we're done. And yes, you heard me, right? It's so incredibly shallow, but that's the truth. We do this all the time. But guys, seriously, who does not like donuts? There's something wrong. There's something wrong there. I don't know. <laughs> and also, for those of you who are wondering, I can confirm, Amelia does like donuts. We're all good. But in all seriousness, we do this. It's ridiculous. We begin to say, well, you just did this thing. Or you don't like this, and now I don't love you anymore, so see you later. But more importantly, we confuse this kind of conditional love with God. We get caught up in this contractual idea of love, and instead of the covenant that God formed well before the beginning of the world. And that idea or perception of love makes us fearful, not in the good way, Instead, our idea becomes of God that if I don't do these good things, I'm toast, he's done with me. And it's like that thing that Levi said last week, an angry judge awaiting to judge you. See, God is not up in the clouds getting ready to strike you down or hit you over the head with an iron rod. See, God isn't there sitting there with a clipboard saying, you know what, Seth, you did this today, that's great. No, Seth, you did this, and now I'm super angry. This relationship, it's over, it's done, it's finished. That's not how God operates. God's love is not based on a contract of what we do, a list to keep up, but a covenant. And this covenant is based on true love, a love that is not bound 
by conditional love or statements, but an unconditional love. A promise that He has made to be with us and that He loves us no matter what, because that is who our God is. And this very definition of love that we receive from God can come from the Scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-8, through 8, which I'm sure many of you have heard this a million times, but Paul writes, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. I just want you to let that sink in for a second. This is incredible. I mean, wait, love is not impatient, it's not unkind, envious, boastful, proud, dishonoring, selfish, filled with anger, one to keep a tally, not evil, unprotective, untrustworthy, without hope, enduring, or one to fail? Yeah, that's right. And a lot of times we hear this, we're like, yeah, I know. But is it really true? Because it sounds way too good to actually be true. And maybe this is because we've had broken relationships in our lives. Maybe a friend, spouse, girlfriend, family member who has not shown us the love that God so freely gives. But church, all these things up here, this is who God is. And this is the whole point of this series that we're in, to uncover the nature of our God. And this is the big idea is God is love and His love is transformational. And we'll see this as we dive into 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-21 through 21 this morning. The church, before we do that, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we are incredibly thankful for your love, for the sacrifice of your Son on the cross that made a way for us to enter into a relationship with you. Lord, we know that we don't deserve this, but you freely give it, and we're thankful for the grace of your love, Lord. God, as we listen today, draw our hearts to you. Remind us of your love, and not a love that is contrary to what others may say of you. God, just be with us and fill us with your presence. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So church, if you turn to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, John picks up and says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. So let's stop here for a second and break some of this down. So if we look in these couple, next couple of verses, we can unpack quite a bit about the character and nature of God, right? And the Apostle John says that we are to love others because love comes from God. In other words, God is the root of all love, the author of it. Not us, not what we say love is, but simply the God who created us. The one who created us out of love and for love. And so as we continue moving forward, John uses this language of those who are born of God, meaning those who exhibit God's love have been spiritually born again because to love is to know the very heart of God. And to be born of God means that we're not physically reborn. For all you ladies, that would be miserable. <laughs> um, but that we are spiritually reborn into the family of God. And so we who are in Jesus know his love and freely give it. And so we've all heard these different types of loves before. The love of a friend, a romantic love, love of one's family and children. But the type of love that God gives us is far different from any of those. And this love can be seen as something that is sacrificial, unmerited, undeserved, selfless. It doesn't make sense, but this is the love that he loves us with. Not like a brother, not like a father, not like a spouse or a friend. But God's love is so much higher than we could ever fathom or even imagine. I mean, if we go back to the language of the contract versus covenant, we need to understand that God does not operate in a contract but is covenant with us. See, church, he chooses us and demonstrated this love through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And what we see is God's love in action through Jesus taking our place, dying a death we deserved, paying the price, and rising three days later so that we could stand in a relationship with them. But sometimes when we read this, and we hear it, a lot of times it may not strike our heart. See, we know in our head, well, God loves me and he sent Jesus for me, but in our heart there may be a little bit of doubt still. And I think this might be because we have lost our offer of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But when we really tap into what the gospel means, I think we begin to really truly feel the transformational love and power that the gospel has through God's love through Jesus on the cross. That God, despite our brokenness or being unworthy, still pursued us through love. And we may ask the question, but how? Why me? How could this be? It just sounds way too good to be true. And this could be because we have operated under the narrative that God's love is simply based on what we can do for him for far too long. So let me give you this illustration that focuses on contractual and covenantal love. 
See, Levi did a couple weddings two weeks ago, and with that in mind, I, I want to focus on this marriage example. So under the contract, you have a husband and a wife who've been married for 15 years, hypothetical, and they've been pouring all this time into their kids. This is fantastic. They're really helping their kids grow. But what they've lacked is a focus for their own marriage and for their own intimacy with each other. And so as time goes on, the husband starts to feel like he's not getting a whole lot out of this marriage anymore. And as a result, he goes to look for somewhere for intimacy elsewhere. And with that in mind, he begins to develop a relationship with another woman who he is not married to. And slowly but surely, infidelity creeps in his marriage. This is unfortunately how things operate under this contractual love. Basically, if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to go find it elsewhere. And it's a sad reality. It's based on what you can give, and if you can't follow through, I'm done. And so as we look at this example, one, it's not right for the husband to do this out of his unfaithfulness to his wife, but two, he's not operating under covenantal love. But at the same time, I get with infidelity, Scripture does not condemn divorce on the grounds of sexual immorality or infidelity. So she's rightful to walk away without condemnation. And guys, this is, this is the messy picture of what contractual love looks like. Well, if you can't give me it, I'll go find it elsewhere. But let me give you the other side. If we look at this story, we see a love that's contractual, that should end because of infidelity. But church, I want to tap into something from my own life. Something that's personal. And I ask my parents for permission to share this. Because their story, it's powerful. So as we think back to this illustration of the wife and husband who had been married 15 years, it's got infidelity written all over it. It's over, it's done, end of story, right? Well, for my case, my dad made a mistake and had an affair with another woman while my parents were still married. And many who hear this would say, well, this is the end of the story. But it isn't. And by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, my mom continued to pursue my dad in love even when he didn't deserve it. She remained with him. She forgave. She moved toward a heart of forgiveness and love. And I know my dad, he was all beat up about this and had a lot of shame, but something that my parents had, this covenant, easily could have been broken. My mom walks away, no condemnation, end of story. And so my dad, I know he... He felt this guilt, and he felt like God was never, ever going to use him again and that this marriage was going to be the end because of what he did. But church, God restored this relationship through the power of his transformational love. What was broken became mended. And for some of you in here that have made mistakes along the way, feeling like you could never come back from you, what you've done, whether that's infidelity, whether that's a pornography addiction, whether that's alcoholism, whether that's drugs, God can and still wants to use your story 
to tell the others of his love, of his redemption, of his forgiveness. Your story is not over. And for my parents, God used them to tell their story of how he redeemed their marriage to so many other people, to so many who were on the brink of divorce. And church, I need you to listen to this. They never separated. And this year, celebrated 35 years of marriage together. Amen. That is the transformational love of God. It's incredibly powerful. It shouldn't have happened. But that is what our God can do. And there have been so many good things that have come out of something bad that was made beautiful. Church, if it wasn't for God's love keeping them in this covenant, I simply wouldn't be here to tell you this story today if they walked away from it completely. And I'm not saying here, look at me, look at this. But I'm just a testament of what God can do in his redemptive love through a marriage that was completely broken. And I'm thankful for this. And I'm thankful, too, that my parents allowed me to share their story because I don't know what anyone in here is walking through. But I hope that shows you that God's love is far more powerful than any other sin, any other thing that you may have done in your entire life. And so whatever your story may be, whether you're a Christian or not, God loves you and wants a relationship with you. Church, this is the gospel. No matter where you are, you are so incredibly loved and God will use your story to bring Him all the glory. And this is the gospel. It's powerful, it's life-changing, and it doesn't make any sense. But man, is our God good. And this is who God is. God is love. And each of us have a choice to receive this love and step into a loving relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so as we move forward, John alludes to this in verse 13, so if you want to turn back. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. See, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit at work, my parents' love and marriage would have been as dead as gone. Simply the end of it. But God is greater than all that we can imagine and His love is so incredibly transformative. And God's Word also says, anyone who acknowledges that Jesus is Lord and Savior will be in union with Him. And if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, today could be your day. See, God is not mad at you. He's not waiting to destroy you. But rather, He loves you so incredibly much. And He has already made the first move toward you, church. 
He has presented himself before you and stepped forward and moved towards you. Will you reach out and take his hand in this journey? If you do, I can promise you that things will be different. Maybe your situations may not change, or maybe they will. But your purpose, your identity, all belong to God. And that's what matters. So no matter what you face, God will walk with you. And that assurance that you have with this relationship with God is a relationship that never fails. And some of us who have had relationships in here that have failed, maybe with family, maybe with uh, siblings, maybe with uh, girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, friends, those may have failed, but a relationship with God never fails. Never. A God who loves you will make you more like Him as you grow in His love. That's what that relationship is. And the choice is yours. The choice is yours to step forward, to receive His forgiveness, to receive His love. And if you want to take that step today, you can find the prayer team afterwards and they can pray this prayer with you today. But as we transition into our application, I just want to hit on not only is God a loving God and that is who God is, his love also transforms us. So if you jump back into the text, John finishes off in verses 16 to 21. And he says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God who they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I don't know about you, but this is incredibly comforting, especially the first couple of verses. Because one, we have the assurance of where we will be for all of eternity if we take that step into a relationship with Jesus. But also that God's love is transformational. And it's transformational in the sense that perfect love gets rid of any fear. And I don't know about you, but that is so incredibly comforting. And it also shows me that God's love is not dictated by fear. And as we've talked today, we're not bound by a contract, but a covenant with God. A relationship that is not guided by fear, but simply by love. And we don't have to fear that God is this angry judge or the eye in the sky waiting for us to mess up. Because that is fear-based love, and that is not what drives our God's love. And ultimately, as we mature and walk in a relationship with Jesus, we will grow in our love for God and for others. And those areas where we may doubt or be uncertain will slowly wither away and we will be 
perfected by his love day by day. Does this mean we'll never be fearful again or perfect? No. But this love will transform us to be more and more like Jesus, which is comforting. And so as we begin to wrap this up, the first thing that we can do, point of application, is to remind ourselves of the gospel daily. And one example of this is through journaling. I don't know, not everybody likes to journal, but it's a really good practice on writing down the ways that God has been faithful. And one way that we could do this is writing down the ways that you have seen God's love and action in your own life. Because the point of all that is to point ourselves back to our first love, who is Jesus. Second of all, John harps on the significance of loving others because God first loved us. This means loving those in your life, whether it's family members, brothers and sisters in Christ, co-workers, friends, whoever it may be, because to love others is to know God, and His love transforms us. And there's a couple ways to do this. Many, many ways. But I just want to share one that is incredibly impactful and was for me. So if we go back to my freshman year of college, I had this professor that really had a heart for praying for those who are our enemies. And this is something Jesus calls us to in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Pray for those who persecute you. So anyways, each morning we would have class three times a week And he would have us spend the first minute closing our eyes and praying for our enemies. And at first I thought, okay, this is kind of weird. We're all doing this as a class. Everyone's silent. This feels a little awkward. But as we continue to do it, and as I continue to do it, I begin to notice God's transformational love. Instead of having hateful or bitter feelings toward those I don't see eye to eye with, I begin to see them as God does. Because believe it or not, whether you agree, everyone has been made in the image of God and is deserving of his love. So with this, little by little, I begin to grow a heart of compassion and love for these people. And I know this may seem small, maybe even insignificant. Oh, it's only a minute. Praying for others, whether it's our enemies, whether it's our friends, can make a huge heart difference over time. Because as time goes on, God begins to shape and mold your heart to love others like He does. Church, this is our call and hope to love God and to love others. Church, would you join me in prayer? Father God, we are just so incredibly thankful for your love, for the sacrifice of your Son. God, help us to go away with a new perspective on what your love is, not a love that is driven by fear, not a love that's conditional by what we can do for you, but simply remaining in a covenant of love with you learning to grow in our love and maturing in that. And God, I pray too, not only would we understand your love, but as we go back into our world, 
into our work lives and the different things that we're doing day to day. God, give us a heart of compassion and love towards others, even those that we don't really necessarily agree with. God, thank you for your tremendous grace and love and mercy. We pray all these things in the powerful and mighty name of King Jesus. Amen.